when you get to those endurance events, like like something like Badwater or Leadville 100, you know, those, those, those ultras that are well known, um, females are, you know, top contenders with the males. And I think part of that is mental. That triathlon show, 170. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Wendy Mader, who was on all the way back in episode four, where we talked about training for beginner triathletes. Wendy is a coach and a former Ironman age group world champion, overall age group world champion, with more than 25 years of experience in triathlon. And in this interview, we discuss what female athletes may need to consider in their triathlon training and how it may or may not uh, be different from male athletes and their training. So some of the things that we'll cover include uh, those differences, but also the impact of the menstrual cycle on training, the impact of age and the, the aging female athlete and training, as well as differences between men and women when it comes to uh, psychology, mon- mindset and confidence. And this one was a really interesting one and something that I see in my coaching quite a lot, actually. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to Precision Hydration for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, we're Approaching the final push of the indoor training season in the Northern Hemisphere in many countries, I think. But at least for my fellow Scandinavians, I know that there are, there's still quite a lot of indoor biking and maybe even treadmill running to be done, where you'll be sweating a lot, losing a lot of sodium in that sweat. So make sure that you're stocked up on precision hydration electrolytes and that you take their free online sweat test to learn how much electrolytes you should be consuming in your training as well as later on in your racing to make sure that you don't lose out on any performance in your training. If you are in the southern hemisphere and enjoying summer or perhaps late summer uh, then uh, this is a reminder that precision hydration is now available in Australia and New Zealand as well so you can go right to precisionhydration.com and shop through there. And as usual, if you're a new user of Precision Hydration, then use the promo code ADATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free on precisionhydration.com. Make sure that you take that free online sweat test first so that you select the right electrolyte strength for your individual sweat amount and sweat sodium content. But without any further ado, let's welcome Wendy Mader to the podcast. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, repeat guest Wendy Mader. Wendy, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So it was around about 160 episodes ago that you were last on in one of episode five, I believe, which we'll link to about triathlon training for beginners. Uh, so for a lot of new listeners that may not be familiar with you, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about yourself, your background in triathlon and what you do now. Yes, I will. Thank you. So yeah, episode five, you were just getting started with the podcast and um, you're still going. I think it's you've done a really good job with it. Um, I listen to it frequently. I like um, all the guest speakers you have on your podcast. So congratulations for making it such a success. 
Um, anyway, so I've been coaching um, for almost 20 years, been part- well, maybe 18, 19 years, almost 20, been participating in triathlons. I just finished my 27th season and I am going to be continuing to train and race triathlons for at least another 27 years. It's definitely become my lifestyle since um, college. I was a swimmer in college and got into triathlon because someone asked me to do a team and I just did the swim. And then the next year I did the whole sprint, won my age group. I was 19 years old and I was hooked. So um, definitely have learned a lot about myself as an athlete through coaching other athletes. And um, the topics we're going to discuss today are, are kind of new to me, but it, it kind of made me do my own research and I learned some things as well. So I'm excited to chat. Great. Yeah. And that topic is uh, primarily uh, the difference between female athletes or triathletes and, and male triathletes and what uh, what considerations need to go into that, whether you're a self-coached athlete or somebody who is coaching other athletes. So if we start from uh, from the top, simply what are the differences that may you may need to consider uh, in terms of uh, training, if we start there, for between female and male athletes? Well, when I first read this question, I'm like, well, why would there why would there be a difference? I've been coaching for almost 20 years and I've never really coached a female different than a male athlete. Um, I treat all athletes the same. I look at their experience, their goal events, um, their current fitness and their time available to train. And then based on all those factors, we as coaches develop the training plan to fit their lifestyle. And so whether they're male or female, I don't think necessarily a gender makes a difference in how the overall training plan, and I read it as a training plan question. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about the plan. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, a great answer, and uh, I probably do mostly the same. Uh, I do know, like I've, after, for example, one of my inspirations for this topic, of course, uh, w- one inspiration is that uh, female listeners tend to ask about this, and uh, and I think it's uh, there's not enough uh, information out there about it. But that's simply because I guess there isn't enough information, period, about this because not enough research has been done, etc. But uh, but I actually attended a seminar with Brett Sutton here in Lisbon a month or so ago by the time of this recording. And, and he talked a bit about uh, some differences in terms of how female athletes may need more high-intensity training than male athletes. And whereas male athletes, if you give them uh, a significant amount of high-intensity, they tend to tank because of you lower their testosterone levels which are naturally higher than female athletes and i still haven't checked this up uh so uh, yeah I, I don't have any anything else than brett sutton's word for this but that is something that uh, w- one of the the reasons for for this topic but but i guess like uh, as as for application i do the same as you right now and i don't see it working much differently uh, what about if right. we if we jump well, well let me let me answer let me touch on you shared that um you shared that thing with Brett Sutton so I did some research on Brett Sutton and and like I understand what he's saying but at the same time I think it's still important to look at all the factors 
in an athlete's life. So like if, if let's say a male athlete is doing a lot of intensity and um, all of a sudden, you know, maybe a month later, maybe, you know, years later, they're not training or performing like they were, you know, you just something you would want to look at is their hormone levels and as well as the volume of training and the intensity of training. But I would never like look at that as the first thing going on. Yeah, um, yeah. Is is is, a, is is the hormones levels levels of males and females, and just since we're talking about it, and I've done some research, it's kind of opened up my mind to say, well, maybe that's definitely a factor that we should look into if an athlete we're coaching is is struggling with something. Yeah, I think I think so, and uh, and I did that when when I was. Uh, uh, definitely in in a bit of an overtraining or or non-functional overreaching state last year i i did do blood tests and and one of the things that i looked at was was testosterone and whether whether that was uh good or at least within the normal ranges so so it's it's something to to consider for sure but yeah i i agree with you that well personally i i don't coach either with that in mind from from the outset and and i guess if if i ask you a sort of tangential question in terms of age not gender here but uh, do you follow uh-huh. the same approach if you coach uh, a 50 year old versus a 25 year old in looking at uh, sort of ignoring age and uh, and looking more at the the picture of the athlete the athlete bio the time available the goals uh-huh. uh, ability etc is is that how you work in that case as well um yeah for the most for the most part you know after reading joe friel's book um training after 50 i don't remember the exact title but he wrote a book or maybe a blog i don't remember Fa- fast about- after 50 fast after 50 is the book fast yeah fast after 50 and and so that kind of opened up my mind to say, okay, I, I get it. Um, as we age, it's really important to keep that intensity, whether you're male or female. It's important to keep that intensity, to keep the strength training, to keep that you know trying to maintain as much muscle mass as we can because we lose it with the age. And obviously, any intensity, whether low or high, or any type of strength training, is going to affect that hormone imbalance. So ultimately, you know just the hormonal changes that males and females go through as as their age is obviously going to impact training, both mental and physical. So it's not just like one thing going on. It's just how that one thing is impacting other factors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I also, like from from my experience, I seem to see a trend at least that uh, the lifelong athletes that have been uh, athletes for all their, their life, like yourself, for example, being a great example of that, and at least for parts of their career have been training quite seriously, at least training very consistently and, and doing structured training and that sort of thing. So they, they're no strangers to to doing some harder training and, and working hard over an extended period of, period of time. Those athletes, it doesn't seem to matter that they're old, they can handle quite a lot of training and including intensity and so so i see it quite often in terms of athletic age and and athletic ability more so than age because a 25 year old who is completely new to triathlon and has been sedentary all their life or their last few years of life at least that's going to require a completely different approach exactly i'm not going to say oh i'm starting to coach this 65 year old male or female i'm going to jump them into high intensity there's no way especially if they haven't done the sport and they don't have athletic background, they're not going to jump into intensity. 
That just doesn't make sense. But with the proper foundation and volume, well, then that older athlete might get into intensity maybe a little sooner than a younger athlete. But, um, you know, I, I, the bottom line, I just think it just depends on what events they're training for, the time availab- availability and their previous experience and, and current fitness. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, and, and this is actually, I'm moving a question from your list of questions uh, a bit further up, but uh, in relation to, to training, since we're talking that and difference between male and female athletes, uh, what mm-hmm. about the menstrual cycle and how it affects training? Can we talk about that? Yeah, now that's a, that's a pretty big deal. So let me share my experience first, because I, I coach a lot based on my experience because I've been doing this for almost 28 years, but I, I definitely am a um, coach that loves the education, continuing education. So I'm constantly testing out di- different protocols on myself. But um, answering the question, I had always heard, you know, things change when you turn 40 and I'm 45. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really understand what that means. I'll just wait for it to happen. And nonetheless, when I turned 40, um, I started cramping. And I've never really been someone who ever really cramped before. I cramped during my first half Ironman because I didn't eat or drink anything. And that that made sense to me, even though I was young. But that was really the first, that was really the only time I cramped was, you know, my third year of triathlon. And then I started cramping when I was 40. So I started researching it. I started talking to my other 40 plus year old um, friends and athletes that I coach. And they had, you know, would kind of just say the same thing. I, I would say, you know, things happen when you get older and, and primarily things happen hormonally when you get older. I was anemic in, um, 2015 and I have been a plant-based eater for, for quite many years. And so I, I got actually very anemic in 2015 and I don't know what sparked it. I had um, started having my cycle two times a month. So about every 14 to 18 days for a period of six or, you know, eight months. And I kind of just let it go like, oh, you know, whatever, I'm training a lot, but that doesn't make sense. Why am I having my cycle twice a month? And then, you know, six, eight months later, um, I started really struggling in my sport. So I went and got... um all my blood work done and and my and my ferritin levels were like an eight. Um, normal range is quite higher. I can't remember the normal range. So I talked to my doctor about it and perhaps, they're like, if what I, is it? From 20 perhaps, if I recall correctly, or 30 maybe? Yeah. So I was thinking 30. So I talked to my doctor and I said, well, did, did my menstrual cycles cause the anemia or was I anemic and that caused my menstrual cycles? And we're still trying to figure that out. We don't know what came first. Obviously, you know, losing, losing the blood twice a month is going to, you know, make you more anemic. But anyways, so fast forward, I started taking iron supplements. Three months later, I was, I was back to normal, normal, low normal levels. So then I started, you know, again, researching um, menstruation and women's cycles. And um, was it Stacey Sims who came out with the book Roar? Yep. And she she talks a lot about it in her book. But I had been experiencing stuff that she talked about it as an athlete without really understanding what was going on. But I would, I would um, you know, part of my 
premenstrual syndrome stuff is just really exhaustion. So I started periodizing my training around my cycle, knowing a week before I was going to start my, my cycle, I would plan it as a rest week because, you know, for months and months and months, I just started noticing that I had to take a rest week because I was so exhausted. And then after my cycle would end, I'd be on top of the world and I'd had all this energy and my training was going great. But I didn't know why until I read her book. And she explains it really well, the different phases of the cycle and how it's best if you're female, you want to put in a lot of your strength training, high intensity training during those first two weeks when you're, the day your cycle ends. That's when I forget the name of all the phases because that's not my expertise. But she said that's when you should be training higher intensity with your sport as well as strength training because the later phases of your cycle is when the fatigue is going to set in um, due to hormones that you're not going to get as many benefits as you would with that type of training at a different time of the month. Yeah, Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and and for those that want the, the technical terms and everything, uh, we did have an interview with Stacey in, in, a, in a previous episode, so I'll link to that as well in the in the show notes. But this is uh, yeah, great I, and the the applicable advice that uh, that anybody uh, needs to to go out and and do these sort of arrangements to to optimize their training to to their cycle. Right. So so what occurred to me was kind of like I already said you know, I, I don't necessarily, uh, that's not the first thing I'm going to look at if an athlete's struggling, but because it's happened to me and I have firsthand experience with how my cycle has changed in my forties, well, now I'm going to start, you know, that's going to spark my memory based on an athlete, what they're telling me as far as fatigue level, um, you know, getting their blood checked for iron and, you know, talk about a little bit about what their PMS symptoms are because that stuff is actually real. And um, also interesting to me that I learned is women need more carbohydrate in their diet than men because women tend to be more uh, metabolized fat for fuel. So it's important for them to make sure their carbohydrate levels higher. And that changes at different phases of the menstrual cycle. Yeah, yeah, that is something that I remember as well from from that interview, and and I think it's uh, very well known that, for example, ketogenic diets, not just for athletes, but in general, in in studies that have been done, females tend to do really poorly on on those sort of diets, and especially compared to there are much much more males that can do well on those types of diets compared to to females. It's re- really difficult when when you try to uh, go to low low carb as as a female. Uh, so so that's exactly and there's a lot of studies out there now that talk about that yeah yeah uh, so uh, some some of my athletes are really open with uh, with this with their cycle and uh, like if it's affecting their training and that sort of thing and we can work around that some of them i never heard hear a word about that and uh, they don't seem to have any dip, big dips in performance either so is this something that how big is the variance from individual to individual can some athletes more or less go on with with their training and their life as uh, pretty much as normal and you don't need to take mu- take it much into consideration or is it always going to be better to sort of periodize around that cycle so so i'm going to say um it, it just like as a female athlete it, it just changes you know as as you get older your hormones are going to change you're going to go through the um postmenopausal phases of 
menopause and and that's when you really start to have to pay more attention to it because when i was in my you know 20s and 30s never even nothing ever phased me that something like your menstrual cycle is going to impact your hormones your iron your fatigue your training your recovery and so i think that's something that we as females need to pay more attention to as we get older right right okay what about recovery in addition to what you already mentioned there with perhaps needing to have that uh, recovery week uh, just uh, the week the week before your cycle or starting the week uh, the week before or of your cycle is there anything else uh, do you, have you found that i guess you already mentioned a little bit that you don't really uh, see much difference otherwise in general between males and females so perhaps not on the recovery side but is there anything that comes to mind there on recovery that that perhaps should be approached differently or not so i you know myself as a coach coaching males and female athletes i have not found that to be significant between males and females and just based on the little bit of research i've done um i've i've read studies that say female athletes need more recovery they have less muscle mass um so again just based on the hormones and the muscle mass issue there were some studies um that i could cite in the show notes when we're done that same females just need more recovery, but there wasn't really nothing any specific on how much more and really what that meant. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to to look at that. But uh, but in practical terms, then uh, it's uh, I think that's what matters the most for for this interview. And and you've seen with the athletes that you coach, which of course includes a lot of male and female athletes, that there doesn't really perhaps seem to be that much of a difference. No, you know, and the big reason in my mind is there's so many things that impact recovery. It's not just how much volume or how much intensity you're training. It's the whole lifestyle. It's your stress at work, your stress at home. Um, it's your nutrition, how how much you're eating or the quality of food you're eating and how much sleep you get. So, you know, whether, again, it's not gender specific, you just need to make sure. I think the two most important things for anyone at any age is sleep, making sure you're getting the proper amount of sleep for you and what you need to function um, throughout the day for activities of daily living. And I think athletes need to really focus on quality nutrition, meaning whole grains, fruits, veggies, lean lean meats and proteins and staying away from all the processed stuff out there that, that, for recovery that, that is a great point that there's so much else that has such a big impact that the impact of gender differences pale in comparison and i guess that's also one of the reasons that uh, we, we don't see much difference in terms of training either uh, because of course if we were all raised on i don't know uh old uh, time soviet uh, soviet athletic farms where you were born and bred to to be an athlete and everything is optimized to win olympic gold medals that's perhaps when when you would see those smaller differences because everything else is is put in your favor but but in a normal triathlon age group lifestyle that's that's not exactly how it is so so that that makes a lot of sense and, and in terms of nutrition anything else other than the the carbs that we already mentioned what about things like iron and the uh, those things that we we tend to hear about with female athletes. Yes. So so generally speaking and again just you know based on the studies that have been done on men and women and I I actually I want to point out I did my um master's thesis on eating, 
training and prevalence of disordered eating among triathletes. And this was back in 1999. So, you know, still needs to be, still a lot of studies need to be done on that. And I actually found there wasn't a very high significance in disordered eating among those athletes. But again, I think because due to the study was in 1999 and not, not done, you know, 20 years later, like today, but I actually had male athletes tell me, and they wrote me a whole story about how they were struggling with body image and disordered eating. So it's not just a female thing. And I'm bringing this up because of the female athlete triad and the menstrual cycle and females, you know, I think when people think about male and female athletes, they think of the male athlete as this big, strong, muscular um, human being. And they think of a female athlete as, you know, maybe higher body fat, but still thin and and just more self-conscious about their body image and self-conscious about their nutrition. And I think it goes, I think it's male and female, you know, they all are the males as well as the females. Um, but females tend to need more iron because they lose they, lo- they lose more iron because of their menstrual cycle, and I think vitamin D is important for males and females um, for sure, especially if you're not outside in the sunshine and you're in you know climates that it's it's cloudy a lot. You should be taking some supplements. But 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 I also want to say before you start taking any supplements, don't just think don't just think because I'm a female and I lose iron in my cycle, I need to take iron supplements. It's important to get that blood test to get that baseline and to see whether you need it or not. I think we're in a, a supplement craze society, especially as an athlete, and they're always looking for quick fixes without really knowing. Um, the consequences of just taking a supplement, even as simple as a vitamin, such as vitamin D or iron. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's absolutely true. How, how do you, as a plant-based athlete, uh, get in? What are some some good sources for you naturally to to get in iron in in your diet? So I pretty much eat a lot of of, of green leafy vegetables, spinach, um, kale, um, stuff like that you know, and just regular lettuce. I am very conscious of when I, I do take an iron supplement because of my anemia, but I am very conscious of when I take it, I take it with a vitamin C because it binds to the iron. And so I want to make sure the absorption is as high as it can be. I take an iron supplement called Hemaplex, which is a plant-based iron supplement. And I think just through my diet, you know, I've done, I've done my own like diet records, um, especially when I became plant-based to make sure I'm getting the RDA guidelines of enough protein. And my protein intake's about 15% carbohydrates, you know, in that, you know, 55 to 65%. And then my fat intake is 25 to 30%. But within that diet, I was looking at primarily carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. But because I was inputting my food, it was also calculating, you know, my vitamin and mineral content in my foods. And again, according to the RDA, I was right within range of everything just based on the volume of food I eat. Okay, great. And and what about uh, protein? That's that's another interesting thing to ask about. How do you get uh, protein in, in your diet? What are some of your best sources for that? Uh, mainly beans. It never used to be that way, but I think beans are the most natural versus the soy product. You know, I, I do like tofu. I do like some of the processed um, meat, fake meat products out there. Um, 
specific brands like um, Gardein makes really good nutritional plant-based, you know, chicken nuggets, um, stuff like that. And I've, I've, it's just, it's just taken me years to kind of look into what the ingredients are. You know, I'm not, I'm not against soy, but I don't need, I don't need to have every like, you know, plant-based product be a soy product. So I like to cook. I think that's important because then I know, you know, how much and what I'm actually eating instead of buying all the frozen stuff. In the beginning, I used to buy a lot more frozen stuff. Um, I eat a lot of quinoa, brown rice. Um, I probably have tofu um, maybe once a week. I used to have it maybe like three or four times a week, and I don't so much anymore because I cook. I like a lot of stuff with beans and quinoa, basically. Mm, Yeah. Uh, And uh, so let's move on to another question, again, with gender differences. And this one is... uh, something that I find always quite fascinating to discuss. And that is, do you think there's a difference in the mental approach or the mindset of athletes? And if so, what what is it that you've seen or experienced? So I, my sister, who is a um, psychologist, I actually presented this question to her. She didn't get back to me in time. I wanted to kind of hear her opinion on it. Um, I think more males tend to have a little bit more confidence and I think I think that's a gender thing, or or that's um, you know, just a societal thing. I think males are more confident than females are, but I think females in the in the big picture have more resilience, and in the end, they have that mental toughness that they're gonna they're gonna go and finish and complete no matter what. Does that make sense? It it does. I'm trying to think of the when I give time trials, like 20 minute time trials, like an FTP test to my athletes, and I'm uh-huh. starting to think back to the failed tests when somebody aborts a test, and it's never ever been a female athlete, <laughs> and, and I coach roughly as many females as males. But so uh-huh. all those aborted tests, I think uh, they they have been males. And so so what, when you said that that thing about resilience, it it does ring a bell, and and I think that yeah, you may be onto something there for sure. Yeah, and then you know another thing um, in the research and. You know, part of it is because I've started doing dabbling with ultra marathon, ultra running, fifty miles, hundred miles, and in, in uh, you know a few years ago. So I was researching. You know, the females tend to have more endurance, and I think when you get to those endurance events, like like something like Badwater or Leadville one hundred, you know those 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 ultras that are well known. Um, females are, you know, top contenders with the males. And I think part of that is mental. I think in order to complete that type of an event, um, you have to be physically fit, obviously, but what gets you to the finish line is your mind. And I just think something like that, males would be more likely to, to quit when the going gets tough and be okay with it. Whereas myself as a female, and I believe most females would think about the consequences of quitting and that would drive them to finish. Mm. So you mentioned there perhaps lower confidence on average than males. Is this something that, uh, how should should the female athletes work on this and uh, work to improve confidence? Because of course, confidence as well is something that can have a huge positive impact on performance if, uh, if you can have a good, good confidence. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think part of the confidence thing could be society, generational. You know, I think I'm, (laughs) I will say this with confidence, I'm one of the most confident people I know, but I wasn't always. And so me being the most confident person I know stems from, you know, high school years of me being the most, I had no confidence at all during my high school swimming years. And so I had to learn from that lack of confidence and how my performances in the, as a high school swimmer were, I never reached my potential in high school swimming or college swimming because of my lack of confidence. And going into the sport of triathlon for me, myself, and I helped me gain that confidence. So I believe with experience and successes, you you gain a lot of confidence. But I also see that, you know, failures lead to success and failures lead to confidence. So failing is a good thing. So I think, again, as a as an athlete, coach, you know, if you want to develop confidence, you want to make sure you're realistic about your performances and your training and you're doing things, you're taking those small steps to gain that confidence, you know, those small objectives to gain confidence. So when you go to the overall objective or overall goal race, you're going into it more confident, but also sports psychology. I wish back in high school, you know, this was so long ago, I don't even know if sports psychology really existed, but I wish I was able to go see a sports psychologist. So I'm always encouraging athletes I coach who they get kind of beyond my scope of practice um, and helping them that they seek out a local sports psychologist. Yeah. Because confidence is such a huge roadblock roadblock to, to performance for both male and female. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That we, we're not saying that only females should go and uh, work on their confidence. However, whether they go and see see a, an expert or or work on it on their own, but uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your take that females may may have, and and I agree with that that fe- females may may be more susceptible to to lower confidence. What about something that I was uh, something else that I was thinking about is that uh, when I look at uh, how my athletes rate the the session rate of perceived rating of perceived exertion in uh-huh. their workouts i tend to see that male athletes they tend to rate all their sessions a bit higher so so my perception is that they they can maybe push themselves a bit harder in the really hard sessions and get that nine or a ten instead of an eight or a nine uh, on the uh-huh. other hand they are stupidly stubborn with and have perhaps bigger egos so so they go a bit too hard in easy sessions quite often is that something that you see do you have similar experiences or is that something that you haven't haven't seen yourself well you know I, I i never really thought about it until you asked me and i think you're right i think males i have to i i coach the male athletes that i have to reel in like i have to purposefully um give them lower out power output ranges on their bike because i know they're always going to try to hit the top of the range. Yeah. And so if I want them to be riding at 90 to 100% FTP, I'm going to give them the 85 to 90% guideline because I know they're going to hit 90 or above. Yeah. And I have to really get on their case about recovery days and communicating with me. Why don't you take a recovery day? This is, you know, the purpose of recovery and the benefits in the in the long run of taking those recovery days. Whereas in a female, I've never had to do that. 
I've never had to convince a female. Well, maybe one (laughs) in all my years of coaching, I've never really had to convince a female to take a recovery day. Like I have a male. So back from uh, from yeah, a short electricity break. So what I was asking there was, do you see any differences in, or have you seen that that perhaps female athletes sometimes have a bit of a harder time? They they don't push themselves selves as hard as they could in those really hard sessions when you actually wanted to go hard. Is that something that you you've seen or not? You know, I haven't really looked at the the male or female difference in differences. I've just looked at individual differences and the individuals that I know don't push as hard as I know they're capable of because I'll never give an athlete something that they can't do because they then that's not going to build confidence. But I know some athletes, females specifically, that struggle with confidence and either they're maybe afraid of success. What if they hit it, the numbers? And then they might be scared if they hit the numbers today. What if they don't next time? That's going to ruin their confidence. So I think they set themselves up for saying that moderation's okay. Mm. And, you know, it's it could be, a, again, we already talked about how females lack confidence. So it could definitely be a male, a gender thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think we've covered most of the things that uh, that I wanted to cover. Is there anything else that comes to, to mind that uh, that we missed and that we, we should get into in terms of gender differences here before we wrap up with the rapid fire questions? No, I think we I think we covered it all. Thank you. Brilliant. So uh, yeah, you've you've already answered these questions, I think. But uh, that's uh, such a long time ago that I'll have you answer them again, and perhaps things have changed. So uh, the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon? Well, this day and age, we both know that there's podcasting is the thing to listen to if you're a coach and an athlete. So. I'm all about podcasts. I have too many to keep up with, unfortunately, and um, I have to pick and choose each week. I'm trying to balance. I'm trying to start the new year off with I have a little bit of balance of what days I listen to what podcasts. Um, so it really, it's just primarily podcasting. You know, I, I really like your podcast. It's different. It's got a lot of good scientific background. So. If I'm ever, you know, wanting to do like a research, I'll Google scientific triathlon, that triathlon show, and I'll be like, oh, Michael probably interviewed someone. I'll just, I'll just listen to them. Um, there's a couple of gurus that I really like is um, Tower 26, um, Gary Rodriguez. I go to him for my swim questions um, because they teach swimming the same way I do. So I really like them. And since I've been a Ironman certified coach, I really look up to um, Purple Patch Fitness and Matt Dixon because he was a a key coach doing the Ironman University certification. So I really kind of become attached to his stuff as well. Mm, Perfect. And who's somebody in triathlon that you look up to? Oh, that, you know, I I don't really have any... um, I don't really have any heroes. I don't really have any icons in the sport. So I think it would just go back to a couple of those, you know, coaches that I, I follow on social media. And I kind of, when I have a question about something, or if there's something that I'm questioning about the way I'm saying something like in swimming, I'll go to some of those um, higher level coaches that have more experience in the matter with me. And I'll use them as my guidelines so you mentioned matt and jerry any anybody else that uh, that we should mention here oh yeah there's a ton of them <laughs> 
you know, for psychology, I listen to Dr. Cinder Kampoff. She does, um, um, she's a psycho, she does psychology stuff. I can't remember the name of her podcast. Um, I do like the crushing iron podcast. Those are a couple of coaches chatting it up. Um, cause I get a lot of good tidbits from them that I like to use as a coach. Endurance Hour podcast, which is I'm, I'm the co-host of the Endurance Hour podcast. So that's a good one. Got to throw that one in there. Perfect. Yeah, I've, I've, of course, of course. <laughs> and uh, finally, what's the personal <laughs> habit that's helped you achieve success? Um, mindfulness and presentness. Be present in everything I do. So in the past, I used to multitask and found that, you know what, I don't need to be multitasking. There's 24 hours in a day to get everything done. And so since I've been becoming more present while I'm training and, you know, focusing on the task at hand, I think that's actually, I, I continue to succeed. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, finally, tell the listeners uh, where they can find out more about you, your coaching, and and of course, your podcast, you can plug it again on social media <laughs> outlets, every, everything that uh, that we need to to find you. So um, I started my business, T2 Coaching, about 18 years ago. So I have a website. I'm on Facebook, T2 Coaching. I'm T2 Coach Wendy on Instagram and Twitter. And then I'm also the co-host of the Endurance Hour podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Wendy. It was uh, a real pleasure talking to you again. And uh, yeah, let's, let's hope that we don't have to wait 160 episodes until next time. Thank you, Michael. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Wendy. I really enjoyed talking to her. And uh, for all the show notes, visit thattriathlonshow.com and you can get the full recap and summary there. If you have any more questions for me or for Wendy on this topic, post them there in the show notes and let us know your own thoughts and experiences as well and how they match up with, with what we discussed in this episode today. I have a few related episodes that I'll link to in the show notes and episode description as well. So, of course, Wendy's past appearance on the show in episode four, how to get started in triathlon with Wendy Mader, and also to episode 105, which is triathlon training and nutrition considerations for female athletes with uh, Stacey Sims. And finally, I'll link to an interview that Wendy did with me recently for, for her podcast and uh, and co-host Dave Erickson's podcast, Endurance Hour. So that was Endurance Hour number 286 uh, on polarized training. So so I recently did that interview and I'll link to that as well. If you haven't checked it out, uh, definitely go and listen to it. In the next episode, I interview Fran Bungay on the topic of process versus outcome goals. So stay tuned for that. It's a very important topic and that I really haven't covered at all on the podcast before. So I'm excited for that. If you're a new listener, uh, please subscribe to the podcast so that you automatically get the new episodes as they are released. And remember that there is a massive, massive archive waiting for you. A lot of the questions that you currently have have been answered many times over on the podcast before. So go all the way back and check out all the episodes that you may have missed that are relevant to you. All the way back to around the time that uh, that Wendy was first on the podcast in episode four. And uh, listen through it. You have a lot of catching up to do, but you have a lot of time to, to do that as well. A lot of training you can, uh, in your easy training, I, I think it's... Uh, that's a nice uh, nice time to listen to podcasts when you have your easy endurance rides or runs. If you're a long-time listener, 
Remember that ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast. So if you have a minute or two to show your support uh, by leaving one, then I would be incredibly grateful. Uh, I thought that today, just for a bit of a laugh, I'll read one that uh, uh, Christian, who is uh, from Frankfurt, Germany, and who I happen to coach, he left this on the German iTunes stores. And uh, I did take six months of uh, German as elective language studies when I did my engineering degree. But that's about five to six years ago now, and I have left my German skills completely untouched since. So, So this one will be a bit of a laugh especially for all the uh, the german speaking listeners of the show but uh, i'll try my best so christian writes sportwissenschaftliche hintergründe zum thema ausdauersport ein muss für alle des englischen mächtigen triathleten die über die typischen interview vlog podcast zum thema ausdauersport und triathlon hinausgehen und sich intensiver mit den sportwissenschaftlichen Aspekten und Trainingsmethodiken auseinandersetzen wollen. Michael schafft eine großartige und hochinteressante Mischung aus neuen, teils überraschenden Forschungsergebnissen und der Zusammenfassung und kritischen Einwartung des aktuellen Wissensstandes. Häufig zusammen mit den Sportwissenschaftlern, Trainern und Athleten, die im Mittelpunkt der Studien stehen. Neben dem Podcast bekommt man alle diese Informationen und die zugehörigen Referenzen nach jeder Episode frei Haus über die Shownotes per E-Mail geschickt und kann so eine eigene Wissenssammlung aufbauen. Absolute em- Empfehlung. <laughs> okay, there we go. I, I made a complete fool of myself, I think, but but it was kind of fun. So so I hope that you enjoyed it, and I really do appreciate it. I I understood quite a bit of that actually. Uh, so thank you very much, Christian, for leaving that, and thank you, of course, to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your individual race strategy and training electrolyte needs as well. And get your first box of Precision Hydration for free with the promo code THATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.